Only 4% of universities in the U.S. are R1 research institutions, and Temple University is one of them. This means 100% of students have the opportunity to participate in hands-on learning and research with world-class faculty. With over 600 academic programs across 17 schools and colleges, Philadelphia's largest public university provides students with a rich variety of opportunities and propels graduates to succeed in their careers. Temple University. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu. visit I was so close, I thought I was going to fry my instruments. As it was, I busted up the skyhopper pretty bad. Did I call one? <laughs> Furious. He wound up grounding me for the rest of the season. You should have been there. It was fantastic. You got to take it a little easy, Luke. <laughs> you may be the hottest bush pilot this side of Moss Eisley, but uh, those little skyhoppers are dangerous. <laughs> Keep it up. One day, whammo. You're going to end up a dark spot on the downside of a canyon wall. Look who's talking. You've been hanging around the Starfleet so long, you've been sounding like my uncle. You know, you're getting a little soft in the city. Episode 208 of Full Sith. I am Mike Pilot, and with me are my co-hosts, Holly Fry and Brian Young. And we're going to do something a little different here. I have to say, Holly and Brian, you know, with David Collins last week, that was a great show. Thank you guys for covering for me. I was uh, upset I couldn't be there, but it was a great listen, and, and uh, so thank you. It was great. Oh, thank, thanks. It was a lot of fun. David's always uh, a great guy to, to talk to, and I'm glad that he and Holly were finally able to at least audibly meet yeah it was the first time on the show the interwebs bringing people together again it's the magic of the internet yeah <laughs> wonderful but no it was a really good show and i hope if anybody hasn't had a chance to hear that one certainly it was last week's show you don't have to go back very far for it check it out but tonight we're doing something a little different so brian why don't you fill everybody in with what we're going to be discussing well uh you know a couple weeks ago was the academy awards ceremony and rogue one was nominated for two oscars neither of which it won and I started thinking about, wouldn't it be really fun to go back and find all the Academy Awards that Star Wars had won for, or that uh, Star Wars people had won for, and uh, give some of those speeches a listen and talk about the the awards that Star Wars maybe should have won but didn't, or uh, things things of that nature. So Star Wars and the Oscars. Star Wars and the Oscars. That's what we're going to be talking about. Cool. And, uh, you know... I, I think it's I, th- I think it's going to be a really fascinating show. There's no spoilers here unless you didn't know that it uh, that nothing since Return of the Jedi has won any Academy Awards. So sorry for that spoiler of life from years ago. Yeah. <laughs> and also, I think we should just be super duper clear in case there's any curiosity or anybody's wondering. We are talking only about the Oscars, not any other award shows. Yes. Correct. Thank you for pointing that out, Holly. The Oscars have made those speeches more easily available than any of the other awards shows. Yeah, I just didn't want anybody to have that moment of, wait, didn't it win something for? And be like, no, that was a Golden Globe or something along those lines. Yeah. What a BAFTA. (laughs) Why didn't you guys go to the BAFTAs? I was busy on BAFTA night. You were washing your hair? (laughs) Yep. (laughs) Well, I think there's something, I I don't know, I, I... I watch the Academy Awards every year and I have since as far back as I can remember. And it's always like, I'm always fascinated by the award speeches. I always get really annoyed when they start playing people off and, and, uh, 
as as someone who who spent so much time and still even wants to be more active in filmmaking like the the academy awards are really it's kind of like the super bowl for for those sports nerds out there the academy award i the academy awards i think are more important in that they they honor art and in achievements in art uh and and so and i would just really like the pageantry of it that film nerds get to dress up and pat each other on the back i agree i think when somebody's having a very important speech and they start playing the wrap it up music it's a little annoying like they went through all this hard work and they finally get their moment to talk and then all right that's enough get out of here but when you sit and you watch the oscars live it it could take like nine years for it to end (laughs) which is fine you know it's not i mean like they're getting good ratings one way or the other who cares if it's a four-hour show Uh. yeah And I do, I want to talk about speeches as we get a little deeper into some of these clips, because there's, I'm sure our listeners will notice it as well. There's some differences between how speeches used to be and how they are now. And introductions, too. Oh, yes. I love, we're going to hear Dustin Hoffman's introduction of Alec Guinness at some point. And uh, it's just, it's long. It is. We'll talk about it when we get there, though, because I have thoughts. So where do you want to start off, Brian? Well, why don't we start with, so so just to set the stage, um, Star Wars was nominated for, uh, it won six Academy Awards, right? And it was nominated for 10 total, right? Mm-hmm. It was nominated for actor in a supporting role for Alec Guinness, art direction and set decoration, costume design. George Lucas was nominated for best director. It was nominated for best editing. Best Music, uh, Best Picture, Best Original Screenplay, Best Sound Mixing, Best Visual Effects. And uh, it was up for a Special Achievement Award in Sound. Actually, that year, both Close Encounters of the Third Kind and Star Wars were the only two films that were uh, they looked at in, in sound effects like that. Mm-hmm. And they gave them both Special Achievement Awards for it, cool. which is something that you would have seen on the the ceremony broadcast then, but now that's when they do that in the, they have some other hosts do it at a different time because it was taking too much time, which I think is a disappointment. I think my favorite um, thing was always seeing the honorary Oscars. Mm -hmm. Like I was super disappointed. We didn't get to see Jackie Chan get his honorary Oscar. Yeah. Um, You know, one of the most striking moments in Chaplin's life was winning an honorary Oscar on that stage. And I think taking it away from the, the ceremony, uh, itself was was to the detriment of everyone involved. So for the original Star Wars, that had every category but two. I mean, it was up for every Oscar. It could be right, except for two. Um, I mean, it wasn't nominated for any other acting awards. Uh, it wasn't nominated for sound editing or for makeup or for you know, it didn't have best song for the uh, Cantina Band or anything. Oh, but yeah, ten, yeah, that's right. ten, ten awards is a lot, especially when you walk away with six of them. Yeah. Yeah, it is a um, lot. So I think one of the ones that I think maybe we should start with uh film editing. Okay. Because this is something I find really interesting. This is uh Paul Hirsch and Marsha Lucas and uh uh Richard Chu, right? And this is uh you know, Marsha Lucas was was George Lucas's wife at the time and she won an Oscar for Star Wars and and, and he didn't. It's kinda crazy, right? Yeah. I mean, he won all the awards in spirit because it was his movie, and without him, no one would have won any Academy Awards. But 
she got to take one home and he well she got to take it to his home but then she got to take it in the divorce also yeah she was probably polishing it in front of him all the time so do you want to start with film editing then? sure here we go we're gonna play we're gonna play the clip and brian did a good job getting these all together thanks brian here's an unusual man an italian who doesn't sing He's one of this year's nominees for Outstanding Performance by an Actor. He's famous for his brilliant love scenes with some of the world's most beautiful actresses. And I think anyone who plays opposite Sophia Loren and convinces an audience that he's a homosexual deserves a nomination. <laughs> and with him is a star of TV films and posters. She's been on so many magazine covers, she has to stamp the date on her forehead so people will recognize her in public. There's been so much written about her, even Rona Barrett has nothing left to say. Ladies and gentlemen, a fantastic duo, Farrah Fawcett Majors and Marcello Mastriani. special day and now I have my special night being here with you. Thank you. Thank you. You're very kind. Thank you to everybody. <laughs> the nominees for Outstanding Achievement in Film Editing are Michael Kahn for Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Walter March for Julia. Walter Hanneman and Angelo Ross for Smokey and the Bandit. Paul Hirsch, Hirsch sorry, Marcia Lucas and Richard Chu for Star Wars. William Reynolds for The Turning Point. And the winner, Miss Fawcett, please. Okay. The winners are Paul Hirsch, Marsha Lucas, and Richard Chu for Star Wars. This is a great honor, especially in light of the excellence of the competition this year. On a personal note, I'd like to thank Brian De Palma for believing, me in, believing in me for so many years. And I'd like to express... My admiration for my colleagues, Marsha and Richard, who are not only great editors, they're great people. We had a wonderful, hard-working staff, Todd Buckelhide, Jay Miracle, Mike Kitchens, and Pam Maloof. We had an inspired sound editor in Ben Burt, one of the most knowledgeable producers in the business in Gary Kurtz. And last but most significantly, we had a director who apart from his many other obvious talents, is himself a fine editor, George Lucas. Thank you, George. Thank you. So there you go. So a few things right off the top. In case you didn't recognize the host, that was Bob Hope uh, hosting the Academy Awards. And uh, Marcelo Mastroianni, that, I just love that guy and just about everything he's ever done. Um, but uh, there was some tough competition there for Star Wars, especially with Walter Murch, who was like George Lucas's. Uh, he they they cut THX together, and Walter Murch was his original sound guy before Ben Burt kind of came into the picture, and he was nominated also. But uh, but that was a good uh, year for movies. You had Star Wars, you had Close Encounters. I like Smokey and the Bandit. I didn't know. It was I, up. I didn't know if it there was, was up, but one of those that that probably didn't fit with the others. It was probably Smokey and the Bandit. <laughs> yeah. No, it, it was a really good year for movies, and I'm sure we'll talk about Best Picture of that year and and how Star Wars didn't win. And I know a lot of geeks kind of take that personally, but the film that won is a very good film. Yeah, 
As far as 1978, though, that was that was some pretty stiff competition, especially when you look at uh, Julia, which was edited by Walter Murch. He was George Lucas's previous like editing and sound collaborator uh, on THX 1138 and American Graffiti. And he was still I mean, I, I he's still friends with George Lucas. He directed the uh, he directed that first episode of the Umbara arc at George Lucas's request. But there was a lot of tough competition there. And uh, I'm sure we'll we'll talk about the, the best picture thing um, at some point, because I know some people sort of take it personally that Annie Hall won best picture that year rather than Star Wars. But uh, it's OK. It was a good movie, too. Annie I, Hall is um, good, too. I this is one of those moments where uh, I curse the fact that we don't have visuals because Farrah Fawcett's hair. Woof. Yeah, was, yeah, they don't have them like that anymore, do they? That was some very feathered but very not moving hair going on. It was interesting. And she had that big shiny gold dress on too. That's with yeah. all with all the CFCs that they put into the atmosphere to keep her hair that feathered, she's probably <laughs> responsible for climate change. No, don't blame her for that. Let her rest in peace without any additional baggage. <laughs> <laughs> the players did change a lot after Star Wars, like Gary Kurtz ended up getting fired before the end of empire uh i don't know it it's uh it's interesting this this is this is when uh people were still totally on board like the 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 establishment was on board with star wars still yeah i thought it was really lovely in the acceptance speech that there was a note made of like george lucas is quite a good editor himself well yeah i think uh he probably could have if he wanted it gotten an editor credit and stood mm-hmm. up there on stage with them. But that would be weird, right? For a director to also take editor credit, don't you think? Well, I mean, he was unless, in there editing. Yeah, but I don't know. Uh, maybe it's just me. Like, unless they're the, you know, in there cutting the picture entirely by themselves, it just seems weird to me for a director to do that. But that could just be my own hang up. Well, no, I could, I could see that, that thought process. I think that because they brought it up, you know, it was that nod that he had a lot yeah. of had a lot of it going on. You know, yeah. You know, the other thing that I really liked uh, that I like about the the ceremonies now is that they have someone live calling the event, saying, "This is so and so's ninth Oscar nomination and their fourth win." Previously, they won for this, this, and this. As a nerd for that kind of stuff, I love that they do that now. And I you know, for a lot too. of years, for a lot of years, that was uh, Tom Kane. Yeah, it's like a nice little like cliff's note so you don't have to try to like reach in your head for facts as well as like hunt furiously online as people are are going up and down the stairs. So I love it too. I think it's I think it's so funny you little... said that cuz I do that with everything. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I I look at my phone more watching a, an award show or something like that more than I do the show itself because I'm looking at what were the what else were they in? What did they win for? Yep. Yeah. The next one we should check out is the uh the costumes costume design and for the costume design it's important to note to people like they had darth vader and stormtroopers come up on stage with them yeah crazy i haven't watched this clip yet so our next presenter began her career at the tottering age of five when orson wells put her before the camera in tomorrow's forever a prophetic title she's been a star ever since with the sensitive jimmy dean and rebel without a cause the beloved rosalind russell and gypsy singing and dancing in west side story and playing the role of Carol in Bob and Carol and Ted and Alice. Here is Natalie Wood. Hey, 
You look beautiful tonight, Nat, even prettier than when we did Gypsy. Were you in Gypsy? Yes. Don't you remember? I did the body makeup for the stripper. <laughs> I'm here to present the Costume Design Award. A costume is anything you wear on stage, from a fig leaf to a wedding gown. And what you wear in the movies is designed by some of the nicest and most unflappable people in our community. I know because they've done wonderful things for me. This year's nominees are... Florence Klotz for A Little Night Music. Her gowns will be worn tonight by Sid Charisse and Stockard Channing. Irene Sheriff for The Other Side of Midnight. Camilla Sparve and Priscilla Barnes are wearing the Sheriff's designs. show their fashion. Michelle Lee and Karen Black are dressed in her creations. John Mallow for Star Wars. Susan George wears his intergalactic concept. And Kermit Eller wears the Darth Vader costume. for Star Wars.
as you see, uh, the costumes from Star Wars are really not so much costumes as a bit of plumbing and uh, general automobile engineering. Anyway, <laughs> my thanks to uh, George and Gary, and particularly to the wardrobe department, especially Ron Beck, and to all of you for giving me this very happy tribute. Thank you very much. Now, what I find interesting about that is that they did have everybody up on screen showing their, their styles, and, and because this is a audio podcast, like Holly said earlier, which this could be video, I will add these, um, these YouTube clips to our, um, our show notes so people can check them out then. Can you imagine them doing a fashion show now today for, for best costume design? No. Now it's like a 40-second like, montage for all the movies. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, this was uh, one of the clips where I hadn't gone back and rewatched it until we were talking about doing this, and it really sort of struck me how very deeply the Oscars have changed. One, there's just, throughout the, all of the, the stuff that went on that night, particularly the 78 Oscars, it was a much more casual tone. But like even in that particular acceptance speech, it was kind of in and out, not the big sort of like emotional kind of speeches that we're accustomed to today. I'm not saying one or the other is good or bad. It's just a fascinating change. But yeah, this whole trotting out of entire like groups of people in the costumes was fascinating. Well, don't you also think that as a costume designer, you, your work is being spoken for you? You may not be the most talkative person when you're accepting an award. It depends. I mean, you have people like um, Catherine Martin, who's hilarious. Um, you know, it just it, there are some that give uh, bigger speeches than others. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's just sort of fascinating. Um, yeah, watching the uh, that sort of series where it's pretty much up against a lot of period costume dramas. Like there's a lot yeah. of 1940s gowns on that stage, um, and then to see <laughs> as the last one them trot out stormtroopers and uh you know the princess leia dress which is sort of in that context a little bit underwhelming when you look at it on a stage with a bunch of like gowns with you know beading and feathering and tailoring from the 40s and yeah. the 50s and so it was kind of interesting and it, it is one of those things where you see so clearly there was nothing to even compare star wars to like in terms of having a peer on that stage in that genre well, speaking of uh, seeing properly or whatever, I, I, good on them in the Stormtrooper costumes and the Vader costume for not falling down those stairs. Right? Yeah. I think it's interesting that Star Wars, A New Hope, was the only Star Wars movie to be nominated for a costume design Oscar. Yeah. Um, which I think is probably one of the greatest tragedies of, say, something like Phantom Menace. Oh, yeah. Um, which I think Phantom Menace has the best costume design in all the movies. Um, yeah, I'm with you. And uh, it, it's it's interesting that none of the rest were even nominated. And I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe. And and Holly, you can shed some light on this because you make clothing. Uh huh. Um, do you think? Is it a little weird that they always like it's always the weird period pieces or the the period pieces where it's just like I looked in a book and this is what they should have worn. Like those are the ones that always seem to win. Usually, uh... like this was the outlier. This was an outlier. And I, I think, you know, it, it just depends. Like to say that I looked in a book and came up with something is not entirely accurate. Well, no, but I mean, like, happen. but how much work did Edith Head do on Airport 77? 
Well, in her case, I mean, I mean, she was Edith Head. I was going to say, you better tread carefully, champ. (laughs) (laughs) Um, uh, You know, in her case, I think a lot of that is really like it is the clothing she would design. You know what I mean? More than it being so so much a costume. Um, And in the cases of other period pieces, you know, part of what they're getting awarded for when they win is the recreation, which is a lot of work. I mean, it really is like to properly create like a, a an article of clothing from a long gone era takes a great deal of work and effort uh, and it's very tricky. So, you know, I don't want to discount any of those wins. And it, I think that's largely recognized. There is always like this argument that goes on among costume people about, well, but a lot of those pieces were pulled from the costume warehouses in Hollywood and you know, versus what was and what wasn't. And, but I still think it's incredibly cool that Star Wars, this sort of, you know, out of nowhere thing that I don't even think a lot of people probably knew what to do with it in the costume category, but they recognized it was really unique and a huge departure and really an achievement. But I'm with you. I think uh, the prequels really got robbed. They should have all been nominated. Well, just because- for, for Amadella's costumes in Phantom Menace alone. Oh, so- yeah. What won in 99 uh, was Topsy Turvy, uh, the movie about Gilbert and Sullivan's latest play that Mike Lee directed. Yeah. With Jim Broadbent. That's what beat out Phantom Menace. Yeah. And I I love Jim Broadbent. But um, yeah, I mean, in that case, like to me, that was it felt, at least from a fan perspective, like a clear case of the establishment sort of thumbing its nose at Star Wars. Because when you look at the way like Trisha Bigar ran her costume shop and the kind of work that was being done, that was couture level creation. Like the handwork on them was astounding and above and beyond almost any garment created in any arena, whether that be as a costume for film or television or stage. Or, like, even, you know, I mean, I would put many of those right up against haute couture garments in terms of workmanship. Can you so explain did... what that is? Because I don't know. Oh, sure. So, you just um, lost Mike. come along, Mike. It's going to be fun. Well, I, I'm sure I'm not the only one. So, right. So, for for example, and it's, it's, this is actually a good sort of primer because the phrase haute couture gets thrown around a lot and people don't always realize quite what it means. It is actually like a, uh, an official designation that a, uh, couturier a, a designer has to earn like you can't just say i'm making expensive fancy clothes they are haute couture to be certified as haute couture you have to like pass all of these these checkpoints in terms oh, so of like, it's like legit like legit like yeah. it has to be a lot of handcrafted stuff it's not like you could go out and buy a beaded piece of fabric and use it for something nice. the okay. beading has to be done carefully by hand like it really is a focus on uh not just design but workmanship um, you know, sort of prioritizing the value of the garment. Like uh, a fine Amish quilt. Put a lot of it, effort into it. It really is. It raises it raises construction and design to an art, uh, which isn't to say that there aren't great artistic pieces being done, but this is like an official, again, you have to be certified to use the term. It's like, it's like you have to have this product come from champagne in order to call it champagne. Yeah, Otherwise, it's, exactly it's just sparkling, sparkling whites. Yeah, I... I I always heard that expression, but I never knew what it meant, and I never looked it up. So thank you, Holly. My pleasure. I knew you were the right person to talk about this one. Oh, I love this stuff. I could talk about this till the cows come home, and then I'll talk to the cows about it. Uh, and then you'll make, <laughs> then I'll make the cows out of the cows. 
No, I'll make outfits <laughs> for the cows. All right. They will not be haute couture because I'm not certified. I have no design house. Um, yeah, so it really is. Like, to me, it really seemed like a big sort of slap in the face that the prequels never got nominated because the work that was going on on those dresses, particularly Amidala's gowns, but even lots of other pieces, was just mind-blowing in terms of, like, the embroidery and the couching, which is a a process by which you very carefully stitch cording onto something to sort of create an embroidered, a layered embroidered look. Like there was so much of that going on and it, none of them got acknowledged. Well, in that even way. like, look at how complicated the dye job was on the handmaiden gowns. Well, uh, that looked are you complicated talking about, to me. Are you talking about the flame gowns? Yeah. That's not exactly complicated. It's a tricky technique, but it's not, um, to an idiot like you're me. an or, or what is it a okateur okateur <laughs> person it's not a big I'm deal a brian no do you want me to explain to you how that dye is done i'll be quick yeah go ahead. sure so that's a technique called ombre dyeing so what you do in that case is you take a piece probably they uh that i may or may not have the information tucked somewhere but i don't have it on hand so i think probably in those cases um they were dyed yellow to begin with and then they do this thing where they keep the garment wet. They create a dye bath of the darkest color that they're going to get in their gradient. And you basically hang the garment so that only one end is sitting in that darkest bath. And so you keep it moist. You have to mist it throughout. And the dye slowly creeps up so you get that lovely gradient effect. Oh, nice. I, I guess for me, and not to keep bringing up Phantom Menace or whatever, and we'll move on to the next clip, is I, I think... I don't really ever think of costume design or, or any of these things. So when they when they do at the Oscars, I mean, you're a lot you're into this a lot more than I am, right? But what Phantom Menace, the three things about the Phantom Menace that I noticed right off the bat that I why I loved that movie when it came out was the sound, the costumes, and the special effects. I mean, they were rebranding things. It was making things look really really cool that I've never saw before. You know? Can I also point out in that clip? how absurd it was that they had a live orchestra doing uh, Star Wars and other galactic funk. Yeah. <laughs> I love that stuff, though. <laughs> I think I have that album laying around, to be honest with no, you. No, I do, too, but but it's just, it's not like, John Williams won an Academy Award le- the, uh, for best score that night, and the version they picked to accompany the, the win for... Was disco Star Wars. Was the Disco Star Wars version? Yeah, yeah. He had to be like, I, I wish they would have cut away to him just nodding his head disapprovingly. <laughs> <laughs> so speaking of which, do you want to do the original score from 78? Yeah, why don't we Why don't we do uh, best original score? So this is uh, one of John Williams's what, 20 wins? It's a lot. You would know more than I do. The first win he actually, the first movie uh, that, that John Williams won for, did you know, was uh, for Fiddler on the Roof. No, I did not know that. Learn something new every day. That's a good movie, too. I like it. We are here to give the Oscar for the outstanding original score. Obviously, it was not one of the silent picture awards in 1928. As a matter of fact, it didn't come along until 1934. First winner was One Night of Love. The nominees this year are John Williams for Close Encounters of the Third Kind, George Delarue for Julia, Maurice Yard for Mohammed, Messenger of God, Marvin Hamlish for The Spy Who Loved Me. John Williams for Star Wars. And, and the, the winner, winner is... Olivia. Oh, big moment. Goodness. And I had such a crush on Olivia Newton-John. The winner John. is John Williams for Star Wars. 
George Lucas and Gary Kurtz for the opportunity of composing a score for your marvelous film. And to Lionel Newman, Herb Spencer, and the London Symphony Orchestra for a splendid performance and I think a great recording by Eric Tomlinson. And for myself, ladies and gentlemen, my warmest thanks for this uh, very treasured award and marvelous moment. Thank you. So then, I didn't even give that a lot of thought. He was up for it for Close Encounters and Star Wars. Which, that's a really hard thing. Usually when you see, I guess, sort of the rule of thumb when you're filling out an Oscar ballot is that if someone is nominated for the same thing in two categories, usually it doesn't win. Yeah. Yeah, the vote gets split. Yeah, but if you're John Williams, you really deserve it. Those were great scores, both those movies. Yeah, Yeah, no, Close Encounters had a great score, and, and... the thing about Close Encounters is that the score was so much an integral part of the story. Um, but I guess it was in Star Wars 2. I mean, mm-hmm. the, the John Williams score is very much narration. Um, but it was certainly a well-deserved Oscar. And I'm glad they didn't play him up to the disco Star Wars version. Oh, my God, that would be insulting. That. That, would, <laughs> that would have been crazy. You might love it. You don't know. I don't know. I don't think so. I will say he's so humble. Every time I've ever seen him talk in person, I've, I mean, I met him once in person. He's just so humble. And in that clip, he looks so young. Yeah. 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 It really makes you think back to 78 was a long time ago. I know. I'm old. I get it. <laughs> I ain't far behind you there, Holly. So overall, though, against those other films, you said that most times they cancel each other out. But yeah, I think that, that would have been a tragedy. Speaks, speaks to the testament of how good Star Wars was and how good the score was. Um, John Williams had been nominated three other times for Best Original Score. Um, Empire, Jedi, and Force Awakens. And again, um, I'm kind of sad to see Phantom Menace not on that on that list. I think that's some of the best, most mature work he's done. And Attack of the Clones, which I, I really think across the stars is probably one of the single best pieces of Star Wars music he's put together. Yeah, it's beautiful. But I guess at that point, you know... He he's won so many. There's so many great great scores and, and music that he's done. It, I'm not saying for me, but it, it becomes sometimes people forget or it's ho hum. It's just another great Williams score. And then when it gets to Oscar time, you know, uh, well he's won this this many times, so let's go with you know Rain Man this year. I wonder too if it's not a little bit of a case where people don't realize how much new music is actually going into each Star Wars score. They're like, yeah, Star Wars, they're using the same music since they use the same sort of big yeah. opening stuff and a lot of the themes carry through. I think people maybe don't realize how, just how much work he's putting in every time. He's only won five Oscars, just uh, just just so everybody knows. He won for Fiddler on the Roof. His next win was for Jaws. Huh. Then he won for Star Wars. Then he won for E.T. And then Schindler's List was the last one he won for. Wow. I just found that fascinating. I mean, those are all solid scores. Schindler's List, I have a hard time placing because I watched that movie once and just swore I'd never do it again because it was so emotionally yeah. torturous. Yeah. Um. So I can't place any of the music from Schindler's List, and it's not like I'm going to throw that soundtrack on for a pick-me-up. But these iconic movies would not be the movies they are without these, these soundtracks. Like Star no, Wars no, I wouldn't sure. be what it is. E.T., A Close Encounter, they would not be Jaws. I mean, that's... That's stuck in our pop culture and in our heads and, and intertwined with us so much. And those movies would never be the same without that. I did have a question for you both. I know maybe up until recently, one of the big things was 
trying to position yourself for certain awards in the Oscars or Golden Globes or all that stuff where there's big campaigns and people are hired to put out a lot of information to, to sway people to certain kind of voting. Was it like that back then? I think the studios probably did their fair share of uh, glad handing. Yeah. I don't think George Lucas probably personally didn't participate in that. Uh, but my guess is Fox did mm. for Star Wars. Yeah, probably. I don't really know. I was just curious. I, I saw a big news report on that the day or two before the Oscars happened this year, and, and it was actually kind of fascinating to see how much effort goes into it. Yeah, I mean, that's how you get wins for things like Shakespeare in Love or even Annie Hall. I mean, Annie Hall didn't make a tenth the money Star Wars did, um, but it's a great film. I really like Annie Hall. I'm sorry. I do. I like Annie Hall, too, but again, I apologize to whoever this might offend or insult out there in podcast land. But a lot of times it seems like you have these groundbreaking movies that people have never seen before or something cool and original and new. But sometimes the artsy kind of in the moment, like this is what the agenda we're pushing for this year. This is the theme this year that those films usually win the Oscar when maybe they shouldn't. I think there's only one year where like, well, there's like two years where the film that won probably should not have even been nominated. Uh, Crash. Mm -hmm. and titanic what i mean i'm not even a big titanic fan per se but i don't you honestly think titanic should have beat la confidential or as good as it gets which i like to call la confidential which is because that's how the, <laughs> the riff tracks dude say it um gosh in terms of technical achievement there's a case to be made there's there. a lot of effort that went into titanic but yeah. if if the, uh, but, but there... see if we're doing this there's a film you love that i did not think deserved the. Are we gonna talk? Are we gonna do the Shakespeare in Love thing? As good as it gets was a good movie, but I don't. I don't know if it should be Titanic. I'm gonna have to go. Yeah, against you and Brian. I don't. I'm. I'm with Mike on that one. I. I enjoyed as good as it gets. I didn't. That's not a better film than Titanic, in my opinion. Oh my lord. Okay. What do you know? You love Shakespeare in Love. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. He's in love I, with Shakespeare. Uh, I don't love Shakespeare in Love, but I love you and appreciate that you have a different point of view on that film than me. I get that in trouble such because a nice I'm way like, everybody's that. like, Saving Private Ryan should have won that year. And it's like, that wasn't even the best World War II movie that year. What are you talking no, about? Elizabeth should have won that year. Thank the you, Thin Red Line. Elizabeth. <laughs> and it's just crazy because I don't think I've ever watched The Thin Red Line, but I've seen Saving Private Ryan probably 20 times. Dark City should have been nominated, too. I like Dark City a bunch. This, this, what we're doing right now is exactly why I think it's not important that Star Wars won, uh, didn't win Best Picture, right? Because what creating that slate of Best Picture nominees does and then awarding one of them is it creates conversations like this where we have to defend or, or discuss why we thought one was better than another, whether that's on a technical level, whether that's on an emotional level or just a personal level, I think that's really great. I think we could talk. I, I think Annie Hall beating Star Wars causes a lot of nerds to go look for Annie Hall, yeah. which is always a good thing. And, it, it, you know, it opens up a good dialogue. But like for me, I always like to look back at what movies won the Oscar like 10 years ago, like right around Oscar time. I get excited to see to go look back and try to remember. And then it's the time will tell kind of rule. Like you hold the four pictures up against one another and this one is iconic and everybody remembers. And then the other three are maybe, eh, maybe the eh movies shouldn't have won. So 10 years ago, we had the departed. What a good movie. Sorry, I'm drinking. 
<laughs> what are you drinking, Mike? I'm apple cider. Well, okay, so um, so the departed one, and it beat out Little Miss Sunshine, which I thought was terrible. The Queen, Babel, and Letters from Iwo Jima. Yeah, I think Departed's like hands down. Yeah, the best there. Babel shouldn't yeah. even be on that list, and the Departed was a great. Actually, we just watched that again a couple months ago. I have no strong attachment to any of those films. Not even The Departed. It's fine. I, I mean, I think it's a great film. Like, I, I think it deserved the win. But like, there's no part of me that's like that was a fantastic year. I'm like, no, no it wasn't a fantastic year. It was a good movie and a decent I just, year. I just put Mike said ten years ago. I pulled that out of my head. No, that was yeah, great. Yeah, yeah, great. That was um, great. The one that won next year was No Country for Old Men. Also, another Our, great one. Yes. Um, See, you my so, point. do you, you want to do visual effects or sound next? Because I've got some things to say about both. <laughs> a lot of gold's being given out tonight, but Hollywood will never run out of it as long as we have treasures like our next two stars. He made his sensational screen debut as Golden Boy, and we'll never forget his leading lady whose performances are never less than 24 carats. The Golden Boy and his Golden Girl are together again tonight, William Holden and Barbara Stanton. This next award, I'd like to say. 39 years ago this month, we were working in a film together called Golden Boy. And it wasn't going well, because I was going to be replaced. But due to this lovely human being and her interest in understanding and her professional integrity and her encouragement, and above all, her generosity, I'm here tonight. Oh, yeah. Barbara and I are pleased to give the sound award because, by coincidence, this is not only the Academy's 50th anniversary. It's also the 50th birthday of Sound Talking Pictures. When Al Jolson said, you ain't heard nothing yet, he anticipated one of the most famous billboards in our moving picture history. Garbo speaks. Greta Garbo is one of the silent stars who survived the advent of sound. And that deep, throaty voice, perfectly complemented by the and thanks to sound movies, her voice still thrills us. The nominations for accomplishments achieved in sound are Robert Knudsen, Robert J. Glass, Don McDougall, and Jean S. Contamessa for Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Walter Goss, Dick Alexander, Tom Beckett, and Robin Gregory for The Deep. Robert Knudsen, Robert J. Glass, Richard Tyler, and Jean-Louis Dutton for Sorcerer. Don McDougall, Ray West, Bob Minkler, and Derek Ball for Star Wars. 
Theodore Soderbergh, Paul Wells, Douglas O. Williams, and Jerry Joss for the turning point. And here, my golden boy. The winners are Don McDougall, Ray West, Bob Minker, and Derek Ball for Star Wars. Accepting the award will be Don McDougall, Ray West, and Bob Minker. This is really an honor, and Buzzy was right. Your hands do get wet. I'd certainly like to thank George and Gary for all they've done for us. They gave us an opportunity. I must also thank Bob Litt, a gentleman who helped us very much. Steve Katz, another one. All the wonderful mixers who aided us in the early stages of our work. And... All of you, thank you very much. I'm deeply grateful. Thank you. Can I tell you how, like, kind of, I like, I love Barbara Stanwyck and I love William Holden, and it made me a little emotional hearing them both say Star Wars. And I totally get that. I While I was watching that clip, you know, I'm looking at them, too. They were in Hollywood for many, many, many years up until that point. And at right then, Star Wars was still kind of the little movie that could. I mean, it isn't the big blockbuster that we, we have now 40-some years later. So maybe they like when they were presenting that in Star Wars 1, I kind of wonder like how many people were like, Star Wars? This Nobody's going to remember this movie. How did it win? I had a similar thought back on the, the costume one, too, like that there was this sort of incredulity, perhaps, of like, huh, Star Wars yeah. is winning things. <laughs> how is this happening? So into the next one and for... Uh, is it visual effects, Brian, or sound? Visual effects. There's a special sound one they won for other stuff, too. Okay. So we're going to go into visual effects now. To present the Oscars to the winners of this year's special visual effects, here's the lady who once shared my gondola in the canals of Paramount, Joan Fontaine. about the first time we've acted together since Casanova. Yeah, well, being at your side, fair lady, has never worked. Oh, sweet Robin. Age has not withered, nor custom stage, or infinite uh, gallantry. <laughs> and Donnie and Marie think they're cute. <laughs> All right for you. There are two nominations for Best Achievement in Special Visual Effects this 50th anniversary year, and they are Roy Aborgast, Douglas Trumbull, Matthew Yurisich, and Gregory Jean, and Richard Yurisich for Close Encounters of the Third Kind. John Sears, John Dystra, Richard Erdland, Grant McCone, and Robert Blalak for Star Wars. The winners are John Steers, John Dyster, Richard Edmund, Grant McCoy, and Robert Blalock for 
Ladies and gentlemen, this is a, a fantastic feeling to be up here with, with these guys, fantastic guys, uh, wonderful American crew, and please don't forget the, the British guys that work with me just to make it possible to be here. And thank you, Gary and George. Fantastic. Thank you. I'd like to thank uh, Mr. Kurtz and Mr. Lucas and the thousands, literally, of technicians who made it all possible because that wasn't done on a sound stage. And I'd also like to thank Doug Trumbull, who started me in this business. Thank you. Thank you so much. I'd like to acknowledge the visual effects workers from the past who made our achievements possible. In particular, Bill Reinholdt, Jack Caldwell, and Paul Lerpay from the Star Wars production. I'd like to thank Paul Roth, Jamie Short, John Dykstra, George Lucas, and Gary Kurtz. This is ours. Thank you. They tried to play them off that four times, Allie. Yeah. <laughs> hey, they, 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 they deserved their moment. They did. I agree. I mean, visual effects changed everything. Just generally, like, after Star Wars. Like, those, those gentlemen all deserved all that time up there. They did. And there was only the two movies that were nominated was Close Encounters and Star Wars. And the work they did on Close Encounters was great too. Yeah, yeah it was. I I think it was a lot. There's a lot more work done on, on Star Wars though. So uh, we've got other visual effects wins. So the only two other films that won best visual effects for Star Wars were Empire and Jedi. Do you want to play Empire's clip? The uh, next presenter is uh, Jack Valenti, who is the president of the Motion Picture Association of America. Now, I know Jack very well, and he's a good friend, but not the world's most thrilling speaker. Um, <laughs> let, let me put it this way. Um, I suggest while you're listening to him, you do not drive or operate heavy machinery. <laughs> Would you welcome Mr. Jack Valenti? A night like this is another chance to say that the making of a film is a group effort from the moment of its conception to its unveiling in a theater. By way of proof, there are 1,200 distributors and exhibitors from more than 90 nations around the globe who are tonight concluding the first American film market meeting in Los Angeles. We welcome this new addition to the international family of film, but they, like viewers everywhere, are watching these awards tonight. We're giving them to a few people, but they're the result of the work of thousands. In the production of every film, there is a group of technicians whose sole job it is to bring to realization the writer's fancy, the director's vision, and the producer's dream. Hundreds of skilled technicians and artists contributed thousands of painstaking hours to bring the magic 
of The Empire Strikes Back to the screen. This year, the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences has chosen to honor the special effects staff of George Lucas's The Empire Strikes Back for their outstanding work. Because of the size of the concept and the quality of the execution, the Academy Board of Governors has deemed this film to be representative of the highest quality of motion picture special effects. Tonight, the Academy is proud to honor Richard Edlin, Brian Johnson, Dennis Murin, and Bruce Nicholson, all of whom, under the guidance of George Lucas, have created a milestone in science fiction fantasy. Gentlemen, it's a great honor for me to present you for these special awards. Thank you. First, I must thank George Lucas and, and Gary Kurtz, who gave us the opportunity to uh, work on these great films. Uh, also, my colleagues, uh, Jim Bloom, Joe Johnston, Ralph McQuarrie, and Harrison Ellenshaw. Of course, my family and crew. Thank you very much. I'd like to thank the English effects crew and ILM, and I'd like to thank Gary Kurtz, George Lucas, Irving Kirshner, my two daughters, Claire and Lucy Kate, and my wife, Jenny. Thanks very much. I'd like to thank my mom and John Berg and Phil Tibbet and Ken and all the camera department. I'd like to thank a great special effects crew, and in particular the optical department who I work so closely with, to my wife, family, and friends for their support throughout the project, and to the force for allowing me to be here tonight to receive this award. I like how he ended that off. That was pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> um, Interesting that, like, Kirshner didn't get as much love as Lucas did from everybody. And, and also, I don't know, like, that's like a who's who of uh, a who's who. Like, everybody, they got thanked. I mean, you know all their names. Yeah. So Return of the Jedi was the next film to win a visual effects Oscar. And, uh, like, the, this is what I love about the Oscars, too, is the weird juxtapositions in presenters mm -hmm. uh, and the subject matter. So, like, for Star Wars, it was... Uh, Barbara Stanwyck and William Holden for sound, I guess, or, or Joan Fontaine gave it to them for visual effects. And then who's this old guard of Hollywood? And then for Empire, it was Jack Valenti. And uh, I'll let you figure out who Return of the Jedi's was. Motion pictures, as you all know, are purveyors of dreams and fantasies. And the next word is a special one for visual effects. Its presenters are also purveyors of dreams and fantasies. Here are the distinguished motion picture stars. Mr. Thomas Chong and Mr. Richard Marin, better known as Cheech and Chong. Well, the Oscars are supposed to be here already, man. What is this? Oh, well. Okay. We'd like to thank the award anyways. We didn't think we would win one, much less four or so, you know. <laughs> but hey, Jack, how you doing? Congratulations, man. <laughs> you did it, man. Oh, there's one. Oh, thank you very much. They vibrate. <laughs> I'd like to thank the members of the Academy, 
my mother and father, chala, chata, chala, no, no, nana, nini, no, no. Uh, the man upstairs, Marty Pasera. And uh, hey. my theory of life now. Once there was the no. dawn. Hey, listen, man. We didn't win these. These aren't for us. Ah, chicken, man. <laughs> we didn't win? No. It's a special... Uh, the Academy, the Board of Governors have voted a special achievement award for uh, visual effects, for special visual effects. Oh, and the winner is Daryl Hanna <laughs> for, <laughs> for Most Tale. No, All no, right. No, no, no. Oh, best Tale. Oh, Best Tale. It's for <laughs> Return of the Jedi. Return of the Jedi. <laughs> oh, that's a good movie. We should yeah. see it, man. Is this still valid in our parking? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, they're going to show the Reject Jedi right here. Right here? Hey, we don't have to pay? No. <laughs> I was going to wait till it comes to a $2 show, man. <laughs> I like the part where they blow them up, man. And the winners of the Special Achievement Award for, for visual effects are Richard Edlund, Dennis Muren, Ken Ralston, and Phil Tippett. Congratulations. <laughs> I'd like to thank Bruce Nicholson, Mike McAllister, Mike Owens, Tom and Warren, my wife Zara, and everybody at Industrial Light and Magic. I'd like to also thank George Lucas for the opportunity to do what I could for the Star Wars trilogy. This is the end of that era for me, my good old days. I'd also like to thank Joe Westheimer, my mentor and friend who gave me my start, and to Jim Nelson for his honesty and help whenever I've asked. Finally, to the many talented crew members who did it all and for whom I serve as a figurehead. Thank you. Thank you, Academy. Thank you, Go ahead, Bill. Thank you, Academy. And I'd like to congratulate Joe Johnson, Tom Smith, Tom Santamon, Stuart Ziff, Rose Degden, and all my friends at ILM. And I'd like to especially thank my family and Julie for their support and their love. I'd like to thank Don Dow, Bill Timberland, and the 120 artists at Industrial Light and Magic who contributed to this film, and also to the force behind the force, George Lucas. George Thanks, George. George Lucas. George. And Phil Tibbet was a uh, past guest on Full of Sith, I think, like episode 89. You want to go back? I don't to know, that? something like that. Yeah. That Cheech and Chong bit bombed. Oh, it was rough. I like he said these vibrate. I thought that was pretty funny. I thought the funniest part was the orchestra playing Smoke It's In Your Eyes as they came on. <laughs> yeah. After that, the funny kind of fell off. <laughs> but that was, so what we just listened to there, that was the last Academy Award that Star Wars won. Um, there's a few other, um, there's a few other awards that we can still talk about, but chronologically, that was the last one. Yep. Which is kind of a shame. So Phantom Menace was nominated for three. Attack of the Clones was nominated for one. Um, Revenge of the Sith was nominated for one. Force Awakens was nominated for five. And Rogue One was nominated for two. And they haven't won any of them. I don't know. It's just a shame. I mean, back then they were doing, well, let's speak of special effects, they were doing really cool stuff. And that would have been a really awesome job to have. I imagine it was so hard. And there's so much they had to overcome. But I don't know. Don't you think that once all those years went by and they brought the franchise out again, that people just 
Not that they didn't care, but they weren't getting, they weren't award worthy because now it's not 77, 79, 81. Well, they're um, still doing groundbreaking work. I'm not saying they're not. But yeah, I mean, I think it suffers from kind of the same problem that I talked about before with the score. It reached that point where people are like, oh, of course, Star Wars has great effects. It's Star Wars. And like because of that, it somehow harms it in terms of being seen as as groundbreaking as it truly is pretty much every time a new picture comes out. Yeah. So we're going to go into a special sound Oscar. It's for Close Encounters and Star Wars. This is a 78 Oscar, so let's listen to this. One of the biggest box office hits since the Nickelodeon <laughs> is Star Wars. I saw it, and like you, I was enchanted by the performance of its hero. May the force always be with him. Here is Mark Hamill. May the farce be with you. The farce be with me? Why not? Did I say that? <laughs> I don't believe that I said that. Did I say the farce, really? Well, I know the farce has always been with you. This is not the kind of close encounter I had in mind. <laughs> We're here to present to Behave yourself, R2. Mark is talking. Of course, I'm just as excited as you are. Now do be quiet. You see, my friends here are a perfect example of the combined talents of actor and technician. creating creatures that never existed and sounds that have never been heard before. You know, I sometimes feel like Zeppo Marx alongside Groucho and Zepp uh, Harpo. Unique sounds add a distinct dimension to, and we're here tonight to honor two very special achievements. Excuse me, Mark. He's excited about a special film. Close Encounters of the Third Kind. You know, it's really nice to have Anthony Daniels, the C-3PO, to say all the hard parts. The Board of Governors of the Academy, upon recommendation of a select committee of the Sound Branch, has given a special Sound Effects Editing Award to Close Encounters of the Third Kind. The award goes to Mr. Frank Warner. It's funny that they, uh, if you want to skip to this, to where they're, they're giving it to Star Wars, but it's funny that, like, Anthony Daniels gets finally to show up to the Oscars, and they're like, okay, you're going to wear the 3PO suit with a bow tie. Yeah, yeah, the bow tie is what really made me laugh. <laughs> It's weird hearing him call him Mark, too. Yeah. Yeah. Not Master Luke. Oh, will you hush? He's a little nervous. 
Well, you don't have to thank anyone. The Academy's already done that. And now, for the other movie, which I think these two are particularly interested in. A special achievement award has been voted by the Board of Governors upon the recommendation of the Sound Branch Executive Committee for the creation of the alien, creature, and robot voices featured in Star Wars. The award goes to Mr. Benjamin Burt Jr. I'd like to specifically thank Ken Mura of USC Cinema and producer Gary Curtis for giving me a start on this film and for associate producer Jim Nelson, whose great friendship and encouraged me and encouragement, <laughs> help me out, fellas, <laughs> uh, was helping me a lot during the film. And I'd like to, of course, thank George Lucas, who had all the great ideas and provided all the inspiration for the thing in Star Wars. Thank you very much. I've never heard him referred to as Benjamin J. Burt Jr. <laughs> He's such a kitten in that clip. He's so little. <laughs> he really is. It's oh, very man. charming and precious. Um, that's another one. So like a sound, like most of the rest of the Star Wars movies were up for sound awards. But another one that miffs me the most was that Phantom Menace didn't beat The Matrix in sound editing or mixing. Yeah, but you don't like The Matrix. No, I don't like The Matrix, but like think about the 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 blending of modem sounds to like shootouts to the pod race. Okay. And and okay, I, I can certainly see your point. However, that first Matrix movie was like Star Wars back in seventy seven. That's exactly what I was gonna say. It the blew people's race. It, yeah, but the Matrix the, as a concept, like that film, blew people's minds in a very similar way to how Star Wars blew people's minds yeah. in '77. I don't want to say anything disparaging about people who do like that movie, but I think the Pod Race alone beat Matrix hands down. I will put in, the Pod Race on snob- and turn my my stereo up as loud as it goes at least twice a month. It is great sound, but I can see why they, it didn't win for that that year. I'm sorry. I spoke my piece, Brian. You don't have to apologize. That's okay. Last one we're going to play. The last one we're going to play, and then there's going to be a few others. There's a couple of others we'll play way at the, the end of the show. It'll be um, the after show. It'll be the after show. The after show, you'll hear Alec Guinness receiving his honorary acting award, and 3PO, R2, and BB-8 uh, presenting an award. That was precious. It was. It really was. But this one, the last one, the one we wanted to end with was actually... Um, Steven Spielberg presenting George Lucas with the Irving J. Thalberg Award. So the Irving J. Thalberg Memorial Award, it's awarded, it's not even awarded every year, it's just like periodically, um, to creative producers whose bodies of work reflect a consistently high quality of motion picture production. And he won this award in 93, I believe. Um, let's see, 92. It was at the, it was 92. 92, yep. Yeah. And, uh, I think that he has consistently met that high level of quality through his entire career. But here's, here's George Lucas winning that award. Uh, and this is the only time he's been on an Oscar stage to take an award. The only other time I can think of him on stage was when he presented, along with Francis Ford Coppola and Steven Spielberg, uh, Martin Scorsese's Best Director Oscar for The Departed. 
If you're a film producer, and who isn't these days, the highest honor you can receive from our academy is this, the Irving Thalberg Award. The Academy's Board of Governors doesn't grant it every year. It is named in honor of a visionary young producer who changed the look of motion pictures. Irving Thalberg knew about the pure joy of movies. He had an instinct for audience-pleasing entertainment, and he was key, a keen judge of story, and he had a very, very shrewd eye for talent. From inception to completion, he pursued polished craftsmanship. Irving Thalberg established new watermarks for films in the late 20s and 30s. And now in the 80s and 90s, another young, hands-on producer has changed the look and the sound of not only his movies, but everybody else's movies. The awesome list of audience-pleasing entertainment for which he is responsible earns the Irving G. Thalberg Memorial Award for my valued colleague and great and loyal friend, George Lucas. George Lucas. Speaking of other music that goes along with the movie so well. Yeah. I'd like to thank the Academy members and the Board of Governors for this tremendous honor, not only for myself, but for the thousands of talented men and women, robots and aliens and others, with whom I've been lucky enough to share the creative experience in the last few years. Uh, movies are not made in isolation. It's a group activity, and it's only because of the work, the very hard work, of many actors, writers, directors, producers, creative technicians, thousands of assistants of all kinds, and projectionists, and I'm able to stand here and accept this award. I'm very, very grateful to them all. I'd especially like to thank a group of devoted individuals who, apart from my parents, have done the most to shape my life, my teachers. From kindergarten through college, their struggle, and it was a struggle, to help me learn to grow and learn was not in vain, and it is greatly appreciated. I've always tried to be aware of what I say in my films, because all of us who make motion pictures are teachers, Teachers with very loud voices, but we will never match the power of the teacher who is able to whisper in a student's ear. Thank you, Francis, for being my mentor. And finally, thanks to my current and most important teachers, my two daughters. They have taught me more and enriched my life beyond anything imaginable. After 20 years, this award comes at what I hope is the halfway point in my career, and I assure you that I will strive to be worthy of all it signifies. Thank you very, very much. There's uh, somebody who wants to, there's someone else who wants to say congratulations to you. Someone else wants to say thank you and congratulations. So look at the screen. Oh, it's on its way now. You should be getting it. Good evening. I'm Shuttle Commander Charlie Bolden speaking to you from the Space Shuttle Atlantis as we orbit Earth at an altitude of 182 miles, or almost 300 kilometers. It's our hope that this mission and those that follow will help compel people around the world, particularly young people, to pursue the scientific and technological frontiers of space to reap their benefits for this and future generations. 
the imagination and ingenuity that have turned dreams into the reality of spaceflight are no different than those which turn ideas and inspiration into motion pictures. It's in honor of that kind of ingenuity that we are carrying a special celebrity aboard our spaceship. We are very honored to assist in recognizing George Lucas, an explorer in his own right, who has pushed the boundaries of cinematography and science fiction to excite imagination and to inspire young and old throughout the world about this new ocean we call space. Congratulations, George Lucas, from the crew of Atlantis. You know, I'm not ashamed to say watching that part of the clip, I actually teared up. Yeah, oh, me too. I I love Charlie Bolden. Like, I love Charlie Bolden. Um, and I'm a little bit of a NASA dork. So I was a mess. <laughs> 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 um, like, I, for anybody who doesn't know, he, up until Inauguration Day, was NASA's uh, administrator. Mm-hmm. And I was lucky enough to go to a press conference at... Uh, Goddard Space Flight Center in November and he walked in the room and no joke totally unprofessional on my part completely like uh not cute but I I started just crying openly <laughs> yeah I don't blame you I, I have so much respect for him and for what he did for NASA and has done for um the awareness of the space sciences and earth sciences that are informed by space that I, he's amazing so to see like someone that I idolize in that regard giving George Lucas, who I idolize in a different regard, an award, just like my heart, it was too much. (laughs) I agree with you. I was wiping my eyes for a while. George Lucas is one of those guys where um, I think this sort of highlights what makes him a great director, but also just a great human being. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. That speech is very eloquent. It is. And uh, I mean, if it was me, if I was George Lucas and I... And everybody was thanking me for all these awards, and I was winning lifetime achievement awards. I'd be really full of myself, and I think I'm a pretty humble person, but it would, I'd be over the mark. I would be unbearable to deal with, and he's never put himself out like that. He, uh, I mean, he put his money where his mouth was Truly. as far as um, that dedication to teachers and, and how much they shaped him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Just think of how many people have been inspired, three people right here who have been inspired by it Yeah. in the whole world. Well, and so, then he's, he's funded a lot of education, so... He's a good you know, dude. A lot of people sort of scoff at the Academy Awards, but there's moments like that that just like transcend everything. But I, I don't know, like inherently, I don't think there's anything wrong with people who work in a field honoring their colleagues, which is why I don't get bent out of shape when it's like, oh, I mean, I just did a little bit over the Matrix, but that was because, you know, it was the Matrix. But generally, um, the idea that like, they're being judged by their peers for the quality of work they do. Um, and they get to create these moments like this that live sort of in the pop culture. Um, and and uh, I think, I don't know, I these Oscar ceremonies are sort of unforgettable to me. These, these particular moments. There, there's, anyway. some, there's some great moments. I will agree with that. But after like four hours, I'm, I'm about done. I could go That's for eight really, hours. I love them. Yeah, everybody's different. I mean, I I think yeah. it'd be cool if I got recognized for my awesomeness. Ain't gonna happen, but it'd be nice. <laughs> I feel like now I have to cook up some sort of special award for you, Mike. Well, I'm gonna work on it. Okay. I thought I thought this would be a really interesting episode to kind of take that that trip in a time capsule back to the to the other the other times that uh, that 
you know, the Oscars and Star Wars sort of intersected. Yeah, you you brought it up a, a couple of weeks ago, and I thought it was a great idea, and it, it gave me the opportunity to go back and rewatch all these, which I, I may not have done. I can't say I, I absolutely would have. And it also, I think it brings it to the forefront of people who may not have been alive for a lot of these moments on TV. And probably well, I was saw. definitely, I was only alive for two of the ones we played. Yeah. Or three, I guess, if you count the George Lucas one. I, I think, uh, like I said before, I'm going to put all the links. Brian got them all together for us tonight. I'm going to put them all in the show notes. And uh, if you want to take a look at them, by all means, please do. They're very cool. And um, you'll know why things people were laughing like he was holding up the oscar on the space shuttle when they said they had a special guest or yeah you know how much like planning goes into that that's ridiculous that's way ahead of schedule like (laughs) you just can't shoot an oscar statue up to the the shuttle but thank you brian this was a great idea i really enjoyed the show Uh, i'm I'm glad you guys did and um i hope everybody enjoyed it i think especially our color commentary throughout yeah i think they will holly Yes. You want to tell people where they can find you and your other shows on the Intertrons? Nah. Yo, sure. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I am on Twitter as at Surliest Girl. You can find uh, Stuff You Missed in History class at MissedInHistory.com, and there are links to all of our social media from there. So damn and good. Then, thank you. Uh, and you can find Brian and myself uh, on Fothentic History, which is at Fothentics. What did, we, what did I miss this week? I haven't heard anything. So we did uh, an H.P. Lovecraft episode. Nice. Yeah. And then the next episode. So actually, we're doing at FanX, which is this coming weekend in Salt Lake City. We're doing live shows of authentic history. Holly's doing a live show of stuff you missed in history class. And yep. uh, we're going we're gonna to do a Q&A session at FanX for Full of Sith. Nice. That'll be fun. And, and there's going to be a lot of stuff. There's going to be a lot of great audio that comes from that. Um, they've asked me to do the, uh, the interviewing of Greg Grunberg who was Snap Wexley, nice. so you'll you'll hear on the podcast feed eventually uh, him talking about being Snap, and uh, Gary Witta and Matt Martin are coming to the convention, and they're going to they're gonna be talking Star Wars with us. That's cool. It's always a good lot. to see Matt. Yeah, Matt's, Matt's good people. So yeah. if you are in Salt Lake and want to come to that convention, you will be able to find uh, plenty of Star Wars and plenty of Holly and I, and, and hopefully next time we can get Mike out there again. That was a lot of fun. Yeah, it was a good time, and I, I always saw like Comic Con, FedEx. They're always really great shows, and we always get a lot of good audio from them. And they're, you know, they're a good partner. I like them. Yeah, they're they're great. What about you, Brian? Where can they find you on the interwebs? Uh, they can find me on Twitter at Swankmotron, and they can find my writing at BrianYoungFiction.com and Brian, no, at Patreon at Patreon.com forward slash Swankmotron, uh, and that way you can get a short story every month from me. You should do that. Not you, Brian. You're actually doing it yourself. I you am doing it. I've written, I think I've written eight or nine short stories for it so far. Yeah. And if you go in and you pay that, that dollar per short story uh, or that dollar a month for the new short story, you get to go back and read all the previous short stories as well. It's the best deal on the world. It's like Netflix <laughs> for Brian Young short stories. Yeah. And Brian, Brian writes some good, some good books. I've enjoyed many of his books. Um, if you want to leave us a voicemail, you can do so by using the SpeakPipe app on our website, which is fullofsith.com, and you can uh, also record one on your computer and just send it along to Holly. 
to Holly. Just send it right directly to Holly. No. Yeah, there's like a pneumatic tube that goes straight to me. <laughs> right to Holly. That's how I send everything to her. Uh, who needs email? No, send uh, send that audio file to holocron at fullofsith.com. Uh, you can check us out on Twitter. I'll say everybody's Twitter again, at fullofsith, at the mic, at swankmatron, at Girl and facebook.com slash fullofsith, and facebook.com slash groups slash fullofsith. There's always some great conversations there, and the shows are posted, and a bunch of other information. Um, if you uh, want to leave some reviews, iTunes is a good place to do it. The Google Play Store, Stitcher, all those places you might find the show. Uh, you want to say a nice word about us, please do. We have, looking at my watch right now, I'd say we have, what, a month or so before we all see each other at Celebration? Is that about right? Yes. Yeah. And hopefully, hopefully there's no there's no word yet. Hopefully we'll be doing a live show there as well, but uh, we might not. If we do do a show, we'll definitely do one, at least with the three of us getting together and yakking, even if it's after hours. Sure. And you said do-do. Sure. You just did. <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be a good time. Holly, Brian, well, Holly, you're going to be traveling, so have a safe trip and enjoy Fan X and Brian. Um, show Holly the town. Salt Lake City is one of my favorite I places. I have every time. He has. He's a very good host. Yes, yes, he is. I will say that. Brian has really pleased me greatly this week, once again. Brian is like my guardian angel. I'm not going to get into particulars, but he's he's the, he's the uh, he's my little angel on my shoulder. Just saying. Oh, it's the devil. Holly is the, yeah, if you, I should make an image like that. Just me and Brian, the little angel on one side and Holly's a little devil on the other side. Yay! And me and Holly have a lot of great conversations. <laughs> <laughs> so, but if you want to find me on the web, you can go to uh, the mic.com or mikepilot.com. All the things I've done in the past are there. I'm getting old, so I don't do as much as I used to. And I've been doing this a long time. So I'm getting old and busted and tired folks. So go back to my archives, check out the stuff I've done there. And finally, that is going to be it for episode 208 of Full of Sith. Again, great show last week, guys. If uh, anybody hasn't heard it, please go back and, and listen to that episode with um, David Collins. It was a really good listen. And um, for episode 208 of Full of Sith and my great co-hosts, Holly Fry and Brian Young, I am the Mike Pilot. May the Force be with you, always. I'd like to say a few words for Alec Innes. First of all, he's English. He was born April 2nd, 1950. It shows you what kind of a character actor he is. His first professional 
appearance was on the stage 20 years later on his birthday, April 2nd. He was discovered by John Gilgood, and he worked at the old Vic, and he did Hamlet amongst a score of other stage performances. He went into the service and served in the Second World War, and he came out and he created and adapted himself Charles Dickens' Great Expectations and performed Herbert Pocket on the stage on the West End. David Lean saw the performance and cast him in his first film, which was Great Expectations, followed by Oliver Twist, and of course the Lavender Hill Mob, Kind Hearts and Cornets, The Lady Killers, The Horse's Mouth, The Bridge on the River Kwai. It was my great privilege to view half of his films in the last couple of weeks. And to watch his work is to be a student of him. He is a, a painter-actor. He is what I think all actors strive to be. At rehearsal yesterday, I met him for the first time, and I, like a fool, asked him what his favorite performances were. And he looked at me like an interviewer, like looking at an interviewer who didn't have an appointment. And he said, I don't have any favorites. I wish to hell I didn't make any of them. <laughs> I think if you're an actor, you know what he's talking about. I think that dissatisfaction with his work is part of the things that has made him strive and find new faces. I think it was Laurence Olivier who once said, the best of us have only five characters running around inside of us. Alec Guinness has proven that otherwise. It's a great, great honor to introduce him and give him this Lifetime Achievement Award. I know of no other film actor in the history of film who has touched this man's work. And it is a great tribute to introduce him to you, to, to Herbert Pocket, to Mr. Fagan, to those colonels, Jacques Sinclair, and the characters that he played in the other films, to Yevgref Zhivago, to Ebenezer Scrooge, to the entire Descoigne family, to the professor in The Lady Killers, to Benedict Boniface, to Charles I. That's amongst 13 of 39 films that he has done. He has a few more in him. I love his work. I hope that you'll join and welcome him, Alec Guinness.
Thank you very much, ladies and gentlemen, and thank you, Mr. Hoffman, for your over-generous words and all that deep research work you did. <laughs> it's five weeks ago that I had a telegram from the Academy telling me they were doing me this great honor. So I've had the time to recover from the shock. But I don't think I will ever have time to get over my amazement and my delight. There isn't time for me to thank everyone, directors, writers, fellow actors, who've made my life such a happy one, uh, including those wonderful Hollywood stars who were my heroes when I was a youth. You know, when I was a drama student, 47 years ago, I think, uh, there used to be a formidable lady who came to take classes of what she called film technique. And she arrived with a large wooden frame, about four foot square, which she placed in front of our faces, saying it was a close-up. And then she barked at us, show fear, anger, joy, despair. And I quickly learned to, um, how to get a, maybe a laugh or two out of my fellow students. And then it dawned on me that if I was seriously going to have a career in movies, the wisest thing was to do absolutely nothing at all. And that is more or less what I've done since then. <laughs> I feel very fraudulent taking this, but not letting any expression pass over my face, I... <laughs> I... <laughs> I thank you most sincerely for the warmth of your reception and your great kindness, and to Dustin again, and I'm grabbing this while the going's good. Thank you. Good night. to look rather like me. How do you think we made it this far? Well, oh my, it is John Williams. Oh, I always enjoy hearing his music. He is so very talented. For a human, that is. His 50th Oscar nomination tonight. Oh, my goodness. And he has already won five Oscars for composing... No wonder he has a good seat. Yes, we must find ours at once. Come along, you two. Hmm. He uh, is quite handsome, I suppose. Wait, 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 wait for me. R2, BB8. Don't leave me.